This morning, we're going to continue looking into the, the idea of awe and our awe of God. And this morning, we're going to look at the idea of how our awe matters to remembering God. And remembering, really, really the passage we're going to look at this morning is really looking at remembering what God has done for us, uh, what He has done for us through Christ. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Second Peter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11 primarily this morning. You know, life throws so much at us on a daily basis. I don't know about you, but life just seems busy every single week. And I don't know about you, if you're like me, you tend to forget things. Uh, I know there's multiple times throughout a week where Liz will encourage me to remember to bring my lunch container home that I had brought lunch from the house with, and inevitably it's not till Friday that I remember to bring it home. I'll even put it on the edge of my desk and the closest spot on a desk near the door that I'll walk right by the desk, grab it, and walk out, and inevitably I forget it. We, we have things that we forget, yet there are things that we have, we make habits in our lives as well. And we, there are things that we do each and every day that literally we don't even think about sometimes. You know, since I was, I can remember since I was about second, third grade, I've been playing basketball. And I can not play basketball for months on end, but I can go into the gym, I can pick up a basketball and I can shoot and have the right mechanics. Why can I shoot with the right mechanics after not shooting for shooting a basketball for, for months on end? It's because I spent hours and hours of building that habitual motion, even in just my muscle memory, when I was in high school. I spent hours in the gym at Kobiak, practicing those things. They're, it's just a muscle memory. It's habitual for, for my shoulder for my arm for same thing you could there are things that you do i'm sure ladies when you sew you don't think about how to do it unless you're not very good at it but if i'm sure a lot of you ladies are good at it maybe not but it's things that 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 you don't even think about when you put your shoe on hopefully us as adults when we put our shoes on it's not something like we wonder okay how am i tying my shoe and maybe you're like some of my shoes, you just slip them on and then you don't have to worry about trying to remember how to tie the shoe. But there are things in our lives that we, we remember, we forget. There are things that, that we build these habits in our lives that help to, to build a foundation. You know, our Christian life is, is very similar. It's, it's very similar to getting on a bike after not riding a bike and yet you can stay upright. See, every day we, are either, we either are strengthening habits or forming new ones. These habits can be mental, social, physical, or spiritual. We have influences that seek to shape all of these areas of our life. There are influences around us that try to, to shape certain habits in our lives that seek both in, in all of these areas, our physical, our social, our spiritual, our mental areas. As a Christian, it then stands as vital to our lives that we have each of these areas shaped in Christ-likeness and to the glory of God. Because of sin, we can fall prey to blindness in our spiritual lives. Blindness takes on a life where we spiritually don't see what is taking place in our lives. 
how these habits are being formed, how bad habits are being formed. See, we continue to do those things that displease God and, and even grieve the Holy Spirit, and yet we don't even see it. We perhaps publicly hurt the testimony of God. We confuse those around us because of what they have come to know as a Christian is not really what a Christian should be. We become frustrated and upset at others living in sin when we have our own glaring unresolved sin issues in our own life. And yet we cast judgment on others. We have filled, really unfortunately, in these situations, we've filled our awe cup with something other than God. It's a fundamental failure this is, is that we simply forget God. If you come to the end of a day in your, in your walk with the Lord, and during your, your, each day as a Christian, you, maybe you get to the end of your day and you, you're looking back over your day and you realize, wow, the Spirit of God convicts you and you're like, I really haven't thought about God a whole lot today at all. See, we forget God's gracious and glorious work of salvation and sanctification in our lives. We forget what Christ went through as he died for us on the cross. We have forgotten what it means to be a child of God. This failure of awe must be remedied. It must change in our, in our lives. You and I who are Christians we, here this morning, we must look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and repent where we are living blindly, where we, are, we are, have formed bad habits. And so our passage this morning is going to help us dive into the, into the truths of how awe centered on Christ's work is going to alter our lives. It's life-altering and it's freeing us from the torment of sin. In, in building up to our, our text, and there's a lot in this in chapter, in chapter 1. But just building us up and giving us some context, Peter is writing here in his second letter and begins the letter by writing and explaining the basis for foundation for the believer. Look in verse 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We are child, children of God. And see, the background that he's writing here in Second Peter is he's writing, in, 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 in the background of who he's writing to, they're dealing with a bunch of false teaching. And this false teaching that was being, was being taught was, was really a, a counterfeit, as, as Rand Hummel in his devotional for teens uh, labeled it. And I think it's a good way of, of summarizing the, chap, the, the book. It's that it, they were dealing with counterfeit Christianity. It kind of looks like it. it. On the outside, it looks like Christianity, but in, in all reality, what was being espoused to the, the believers that Peter was writing to was not Christianity at all. And so Peter is writing to, to encourage the Christians and, and help them combat this false teaching. 
He's trying to help expose this counterfeit Christianity. See, true Christianity comes from the one true God who has called us through his own glory and excellence and not of anything of our own. I shared with the basketball guys on Tuesday night that salvation has nothing, comes from nothing of their, their own. I gave them an opportunity to just do a Q&A with me. And one guy asked the question about the idea of what about those who have never heard, are in a country area that have never heard the gospel. How, how is that, basically he was saying, how is that fair? How does that work? And, and I walked through him in a very quick 10-minute explanation as much as I could and explained to him that it's, it's, it's not, God doesn't send anyone to hell, it's our own very sin, our sin nature and the sin that we commit that sends us to hell. See, salvation is granted by God and provides eternal security from the pains of eternal damnation in hell. It is salvation that gives the Christian to defeat the spiritual blindness in their life. It is God's power through salvation that we have all we need to live righteously. In these couple of verses, he says that he, God has given to us everything we need that pertains unto life and godliness. To living the life that God wants us to live. And he goes on from that, that salvation is living out a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's living out uh, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Is ex- and and as the more we know it's about who God is, it's living that knowledge out in our lives. He goes on then in verses 5 through 7, which have been called qualities, they've been called virtues. But really in verses 5 through 7, you see really a process of spiritual growth. Peter gives to us the mentality and attitude we must have in adding to our divine nature. This is really, it's, it's, it's not an act. The Christian life is not one done through indifference or complacency, but it is one of total dedication. Look at verse 5. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence. We are to put all diligence into growing spiritually. It's not a half-hearted thing. The Christian life is not half-hearted. And when we are living half-hearted, when we aren't diligently seeking to grow spiritually, we have an awe problem. We have an awe problem. See, the Christian life cannot honor God without effort. One one commentator put it this way, a carnal Christian has spiritual myopia, which we'll get to in verse 9. But a spiritual Christian is both effective and productive, verse 8, in his understanding of the Lord Jesus and his application of biblical principles to daily life. If we want to be effective for Christ, if we want to be useful, as we'll get to in a little more detail here in a moment, we've got to be living these virtues, these qualities out in our life. The Christian is to provide their faith with the necessary food to promote growth. If you do not feed your faith, you will not grow. I'm just going to quickly go through these, these, these virtues, these qualities. I'm not going to spend time, the, the message this morning is not built around these, but I would encourage you to go home and study them and really flesh them out even more. But he goes through, and the first one he mentions is virtue or moral excellence. 
This is the idea of living your life in every area of your life. You are living it excellently. It involves our decision making, our actions, our thoughts. It's representing Christ in an excellent way. It's doing your best. And he goes on then you are to add to that knowledge. This is the idea of understanding, correct insight, truth properly understood. It involves diligent study of truth in the Word of God. And then he says, add to that, I add to knowledge, the idea of self-control. It's literally the idea of holding oneself in. It's, it's, this is controlling our will and allowing God to control it. The Holy Spirit is who is controlling our lives, Galatians 5.16. During Peter's time, this term self-control was used of athletes training for competition. It is the controlling the flesh and passions rather than them controlling you. And then adding to self-control is, is, is perseverance or patience. This is the idea of James when in chapter 1 he talks about enduring trials. It's a spiritual staying power that will die before it gives in. You're standing firm on, on, on biblical truth. You're not going to give in to the sin in your life, but you're choosing rather to stand firm on biblical truth and live righteously. And to add to that godliness, it's man's obligation of reverence towards God. It's the Christian living reverently and loyally and obediently before God. It consists of a walk with God, a communion with Him, and a childlike trust. It's just living God's character in your life. And adding to that is brotherly kindness. It's a mutual sacrifice for one another. It's a fervent and practical caring for one another. And then adding to that, love. It desires the highest good for others. This is the love God shows towards sinners, towards us, towards you, towards me. See, it is important to have these necessary qualities and virtues in your life as a Christian. Having these in your life give evidence to the fact that you are filling your awe capacity with the right material. Peter goes from explaining our position with God through salvation and the promise of his power to live it out to detailing the character traits that should be manifesting in our lives to stating the truth about our spiritual growth status when these qualities or virtues are not, are or are not progressing in our lives. So this is where we come to our passage of Scripture in verse 8. It says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly applied to you. So our main principle this morning is that living in awe of Christ's redemptive work impacts our spiritual usefulness. Living in awe of Christ's redemptive work impacts our spiritual usefulness. It's so important that we 
wake up each day in awe of what Christ did for us. When you are just in awe of what Christ did for us and how God chose his only son to die on the cross for you and for me, it is going to impact your spiritual growth. You can't help but grow when you're, you are in awe of God's redemptive work, Christ's redemptive work. So our first point this morning to, as we support this main idea is simply that remembering Christ's redemptive work manifests through our constant growth. Remembering Christ's redemptive work manifests itself through your constant growth. Here in verse 8, we see that Peter is explaining that if these qualities are yours and increasing, then you are neither useless nor unfruitful. Remember, Peter is writing to two believers here. And, and he's writing, he's saying, listen, if you are going to grow spiritually, not only do these things need to be in your life, but they need to be increasing. The, the word that, that Peter uses here for increasing is that idea of overflowing, of abounding. It's not that these qualities, these virtues are just in your life, but they need to be abounding. They need to be overflowing. See, when we are living righteously, when we are living these qualities out in our life, it's, you can't sin if you're living right. If you're constantly growing, you can't be constantly not growing. You can't be dead and growing at the same time. These qualities need to be constantly increasing. Sure, we're not going to be perfect until eternity. And Peter even touches on that in these verses. In verses 10 and 11. But are these qualities, are you constantly growing in Christ? Are these things constantly becoming more and more and more a part of your life? See, the condition here is not, it's not, it's not a process that, even though in, in some, it uses the word uh, add, and I know in the King James it does, this is now for this very reason also applying, I know some translations use the word add, I think the word applying is a better word here, because it's not a step process. It's not like, okay, I'm doing this, okay, I have accomplished this one, I've got it, I've got it figured out, now I'm going to the next one. No, it's all of these in my life all the time. They're working, you're, you're growing in these things together. They're not, they're not one and then the other. It's, it's all of them together. He says, for if these things are in you, these things are abounding then you are neither useless nor unfruitful. Do you want to have, do you want to be useless for God? I know I don't. Because the idea of being ineffective for God is not a, something that I want in my life. The author of Hebrews says it is fearful to fall into the hands of a vengeful God. 
See, when we really truly see the fear of God and see who God is, there's a level of fearing God, yes, but then there's a level of fearing God. First of all, it is a thrill to serve God. If you're saved here and you're a Christian and you're not actively growing in your walk with the Lord right now and you see the Christian life as kind of a drudge, it's just like, oh man, there's all these, it's the, and, the, and the next thing, and just, I, life is just rough. See, serving God is a thrill. See, the word ineffective that Paul, Peter, sorry, not Paul, but Peter uses here is used of idle workers who are wasting their day in the marketplace. When you allow yourself to become idle as a Christian, you become ineffective and useless. Is your life, is there areas in your life that are just idle when it comes to living for the Lord and your spiritual growth? You're just kind of in neutral, idling, not going anywhere. Scripture says here that we're useless and unfruitful. Every time I read that, it hurts. <laughs> when you think of that, see, Peter comes back in chapter 3. He says, But we are to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, it is a thrill to serve God and to becoming more and more like him. This term unfruitful carries the idea of unproductive. So you put the two together, useless and unproductive. God desires for you to have a thriving relationship with him. He desires to see you growing spiritually in all of these areas. And Peter is writing and saying, if these things, if these things are lacking in your life, not only are, are we forgetting God's redemptive growth, are, are we useless and unfruitful, but we have become blind. Verse 9. We have, see, forgetting God's redemptive work blinds you from your position in Christ. Blinds you from your position in Christ. In verse 9, Peter bluntly explains the opposite truth to verse 8. See, if these qualities are not increasing in your life, then you are short-sighted and have forgotten the gift given to you, purged from your sins. The text here is saying that if these truths are not increasing in your life, then you are not growing spiritually and are living as you did before you were saved. You are focused on, on your own present desires. See, a person may be saved, but his or her failure to diligently pursue spiritual virtues produces spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. See, we are a forgetful people. You know, it's often joked that Christians do not remember what the sermon was last week. 
And jokingly, if I were to do a pop quiz on what the sermon was about last week, how many of us would pass? Just the big idea, I'm not even asking for the points. See, what we remember today will too often become a distant memory. We forget to attach the attachment to an email that we're trying to send out. We are forgetful and in our Christian life when our awe is misplaced, we tend to forget what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. How often throughout a day is Christ's redemptive work coming to your mind? See, when we forget, and these things are not abounding in our lives, verse 9, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. The forgetful are unable to discern their true spiritual condition and will have no confidence about their profession of faith. This is where doubting salvation comes into play. Have you ever worked with someone who's doubted their salvation? Maybe you've doubted your salvation. One of the easiest questions to ask that person is, is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Because when we are living in sin and we are not progressing spiritually, we're idling spiritually, this is where doubt begins to creep in. One commentator said this, that the ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness relate to their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are are lacking in our knowledge of who God is and applying that in our lives and growing and adding and, and applying these virtues, these qualities to our life, that is when the ineffectiveness starts to creep in. It's when the unfruitfulness starts to creep in. That's when we begin to live forgetting what Christ did for us on the cross. See, the content of what we are forgetting is the one point in time you entered God's family. The individual parts of the believer's conversion to faith in Christ are multiple, but when we forget Christ's salvation of our lives, we forget our adoption. God adopted you. We forget the repentance from our rebellious attitude. We forget God's sealing of us through his spirit. We forget his love and forgiveness. We forget his mercy and grace. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with your salvation, maybe you're doubting this morning or you're watching on live stream, you need to take a, a time to just see, look deeply into your own life and ask God to show you, is there unconfessed sin in my life? And maybe you're here and you feel like you are, you're, you're stuck in neutral spiritually and it just seems like nothing, you're not going anywhere. You're, you're, your love for God is, is not growing. Your understanding of God's word is not growing. Is it perhaps because you're living in your own selfishness?
and you're forgetting what Christ did for you. You're not meditating on it. You're not in awe of it. In his book entitled All, which some of these concepts, I've, I've, I've overall idea for this series has come from, Paul David Tripp addresses this topic of this tendency of ours to forget. He says this, he lays out, and this is what he, he simply says, that he lays out a variety of symptoms that we need to honestly assess of our own life and the living out of the knowledge we have in Christ. And he gives some symptoms. We're going to look at those here in just a moment. But our third point this morning is simply that evaluating your spiritual growth proves your position in Christ. Look at verses 10 through 11. Peter goes and says, because of this, because of these things that he's just talked about, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Think Because if you are not, if you're struggling and, and you're not growing, if, if you've become short-sighted and these qualities are not abounding in your life, there's danger here. There, there's, there's a danger here. And he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more sure to make sure of your calling, of, what, of your salvation. Peter's admonishing here. And God is always certain who have gotten saved. God always knows who's saved and who have received the gift of salvation. And we, are, we have eternal security. The Bible clearly teaches that no one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. But the question I have for us, a question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I making my calling sure? Am I proving what Christ has done in my life? Am I living my salvation out? Peter is telling us that proving authentic Christian living is done through confirming the calling and election of God on our lives to salvation. That proving and confirming takes place by living the qualities Peter has listed for us. It says, he goes on, so not only are we to make, we are to be diligent about making certain about our calling, our, God's choosing us. It says, for as long as you practice these things, and that phrase, these things, is pointing back to those qualities. As long as you are practicing these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. This is where the, there's a little bit of an eschatological look that Peter is giving here. Kind of an already not yet. Are we this side of eternity going to stumble? Are we going to be perfect? We are not going to be perfect this side of eternity. And so there are elements that, yes, we can stumble. We can, we can, we can fail spiritually. We can end up idling spiritually. But there's also the encouragement here to persevere to the end. That if we continue to persevere, that if we are constantly these things, we are practicing these things out in our life, that when we reach eternity, we will know and we will have proved, we will see our assurance of salvation. There is assurance there. We know that we will make it to the end. Because if you are practicing these things in your life, if you are living these things out in your life, as we see other places in Scripture, when we are living habitually in a righteous manner, it shows that we are genuinely saved. 
and we will enter into the very kingdom of God. See, the Christian life begins with faith. And that faith is then lived out, James says in chapter 2. Are you living out your faith? Are you applying these qualities to your faith? See, there is hope knowing that we as believers one day are going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin only clouds our judgment, clouds our eyesight. It will creep in and, and get you to doubt and to fear your eternal security. Satan would want nothing more than that. Between your flesh, the sinful society we live in, and Satan, the influence of sin can be so great in our lives. And without God and growing in Christ, it will overwhelm you. You don't play around with sin. Are you this morning blinded to your own state spiritually? If someone were to come up to you and point out an area where you are struggling spiritually, what would your response be? Would the defense mechanisms automatically go up? Or would it be a response of humility? See, these qualities can be seen as a symphony. I don't know how many of you have ever been to a symphony. I have, and it, they're, they're pretty sounding if you can phrase it that way. But there's a lot of parts to a symphony. And if you start taking a couple parts out, it sounds horrible. Have you ever listened to them warm up right before they play? They're definitely not a symphony at that point. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture... These qualities need to be a symphony in our lives. All of them, always there, always playing, always abounding, playing to full volume, fortissimo, or double fortissimo, or triple, quadruple, just really loud. I know I'm mixing my metaphors. (laughs) So as I mentioned, Tripp in his book gives a list of things that areas in our life that we can do a self-evaluation of. And one of those things is that of self-centeredness. Is there a self-centeredness in your life? Many of our us fam- younger families in here have children who are very young. It's not hard to see their self-centeredness. But are you desiring your own satisfaction and happiness? Do you get upset when you aren't the center of your universe? How do you respond when things don't go your way? What about entitlement? I deserve. We live in an entitled society. And I think it would be pretty arrogant of us to think that it doesn't impact us. 
We are not to be motivated by prestige and popularity. And when I say prestige and popularity, most of us probably aren't motivated by the level of prestige and popularity that some of the world is. But all of us like to be liked. (laughs) That shouldn't drive. We shouldn't have, see, these are all areas that we misplace our awe in. And if our awe is wrapped up in these, these areas and we really are, are dealing with spiritual amnesia, discontent, the world, is not your, the world isn't your friend and is not looking to bring contentment to your life. So stop looking for contentment in the world. Time is time and all too often we allow ourselves to become discontent. Rather than allowing discontentment to swallow us up, we need to stay steadfast in the storm. Relational dysfunction. In our lifetime, we will struggle with the emotions of the negative kind when life takes a 90-degree turn from our plans. There are going to be things, relationships, that we have that might not go the way we think they should go. We can't be focusing and placing our awe in, in, in trying to have in, in relationships even. It's God's place in our lives directly correlates to our peace with God. We need to put our, our awe in God first. Our relationship with God is first and foremost. And it is from that that God helps us have the relationships with others that we are to have. Maybe you're here this morning and you struggle with control. You just got to have control of everything. Honestly, who doesn't want to be in control? (laughs) Right? The idea of fighting over the TV remote at home? Or who drives? (laughs) We can find ourselves struggling with God's control of our lives when we feel like our life is spinning out of control. We try to grab control of it. We don't like that feeling. And see, failing to properly have an awe of God will rob you, as Tripp puts it, rob you of your rest in God's control. God is the one that is where we place our control, let him control. Place our faith and trust in God. The one who sent his son to die for us. If, if, if we can trust God to save us and put our faith and trust because of what Christ did on the cross, why do we always have this spiritual amnesia and reach out and try to grab control of the rest of our life? If we trust him with eternity, why can't we trust him with every other part of our life? Fear. What areas of your life do you see fear settling in and creating an agenda that decides the interaction with others and the handling of situations in your life? Are you afraid to get deeper into a a, a redemptive relationship with others? Are you afraid to, to grow in your Christian walk with others because that means you have to open up your life? And they're going to see some of the dirt on your clothes? We can't be fearing what others are going to think. When we fear and we live in a sense of fear in our lives in whatever area, it's, it's, we are placing our awe in that, in that instance. 
Not in God. See, all matters to how we remember and how we think about God. What about anger? How often anger in a person's life will roll back to being angry at God, really? And oftentimes it's just angry at God for being God. They're mad at God because they're not responding right to life decisions. We have to blame life, our wrong decisions on someone. We don't want to take account for them. What about envy? God's greatness exists diametrically opposed to self-greatness and wanting what is not yours. Drivenness. Are you a workaholic? And driving for success at work, home, or play, it's really putting a stop of, of, of living as a Christian that God wants you to live. Your priorities get misplaced. And you're placing your awe in your work rather than in God. Exhaustion. Allowing constant service to people and, and out and about and to just wear you down. Are you allowing life to just, are you allowing exhaustion to be really what you place your awe in? You're getting frustrated because where, where's my time? Why am I always have to be tired? Are you getting exhausted with seeking to reach others? See, people, ministry is messy. It's frustrating. But it's awesome. (laughs) Ministering to others through the word of God is an awesome responsibility we have. Are you becoming so exhausted with serving God, there's atrophy setting in. It doesn't matter how old we are, we're never too old to constantly be serving God. And then spiritual coldness. Do you find joy in worshiping God? Or are you just coming even on a corporate level? Is there genuine joy in your life to come here this morning? Or is it something that you're doing because you have to? To save face with everyone else here. Or you don't want to hear a phone call from Carl or myself or pastor or one of the deacons or another person in the church. You just don't want to deal with that. Leave me alone. So it's easier for you to come to church and and to put on the smile. But in all reality, you're spiritually cold. See, awe and worship are directly connected. See, it's important for us to have an awe of God. Living in awe of Christ's redemptive work impacts our spiritual usefulness. Living in awe of Christ's redemptive work impacts our spiritual usefulness. What about you this morning? Where's your awe? How useful are you this morning? Are these qualities, these virtues, are they growing in your life? Are they abounding? See, awe matters to remembering God. And as we remember God, 
we will grow in these qualities. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for your wonderful name. Lord, you're such an amazing God. Lord, I pray that we would have an awe of you, that these qualities would be abounding in our lives, that we would not become useless and ineffective, that we would be constantly desiring to be constantly growing, that we would be a church that, that would be just constantly growing and not becoming idle and unproductive, that we wouldn't fall into doubting your calling and your choosing us. So we thank you and we praise you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.